0: Welcome to the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. and Stephen Craig. This is episode 99. One away. One away. Oh, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Clunk. <laughs> 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 All right. So this episode, we're going to be talking about um, using FR4 or PCBs as like enclosures and structural elements in your project. Yep. Um, basically cause Steven has been working on another synth. I think, I think he's got like eight synth designs going on at once. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a, a lot. Let's yeah. just put it that way. A lot. Um, and so his new idea is actually just explain it cause I've only seen pictures of what you want to build. And so I can't really explain it besides it looks like it takes a lot of space up.
1: Well, okay. So the, um, the last synth that I built, I did everything on a single PCB and that was Sort of a challenge and sort of just fun. Uh, but, but what I'm really wanting to get into now is what's called Eurorack, uh, which is modular synthesis. And it's a standard, right? It's a standard, yeah. So it's 128 and a half millimeters high by however many what's you that choose. In freedom units. Uh, 3U, which is what's 1.75 times 3? Whatever yeah. that is. But, but it's, it's actually easier to do in millimeters. So it, but, but in metric, it's still a decimal of something. Yeah. What
0: was that again? Well, 128 and a half. Millimeters? Yeah. So, that, what's in centimeter? I guess you just... No, what's bigger <laughs> than... Mil,
1: well, smaller than millimeter? What's uh, one unit over? Uh, what's small... Uh, I, I think it, once you go lower than millimeters, you just get to microns, right? No, there's something after millimeters. It's not a decimeter, is it?
0: Nanometer. Nanometers way lower Nanometer than... Nanometer
1: is... Um, 10 to 10 the negative to 9th. Six. That's micro. That's micro.
0: Nine is nano. Twelve is, is pico. pico. Right. So there's m- minus um, minus two is centimeter.
1: E- yeah. Yeah. Minus, minus three, three is, is millimeter. millimeter. There's a minus four. Uh, quadrameter. What's it called? I was pulled it up here. Um, let's see. We are totally not metric guys. No, it's, it's not clean. even on
0: that list either. It, go, it, goes he, from, like, it goes from centi to uh
1: milli. So. Well, but but then lower than oh, millimeter.
0: It, it goes from milli to micro. Right, so right. There's, so there's so it goes system. from
1: negative three to negative six. It starts jumping by threes after that because it sort of doesn't make any sense to get yeah. more granular. I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Regardless, I'll I'll keep I'll yeah, keep, keep talking searching. about this. Okay, so this um so there's this uh new synthesizer is basically uh, e- every every piece of it is a single module, and so you build it in chunks as opposed to building it all as one, like I did in. the Decimill decimilli. Okay, I'm never gonna use that because that's just. Well, you said it's 120 what? Uh, 128 and a half. So it's 1,285 decimilis. So so you're just you're trying really
0: hard to get rid of the decimal. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I'll put it this way: Is if you're going to use the metric system, at least use it properly, which is without fractions. Okay. Well, that's that. No, that's the biggest argument people have against the imperial system: is you have to use fractions to explain things. Oh, so you're going to call people out on and that? So and so, just... if you use a fraction in the metric system, you're you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, it, but it's, just a, it's just a naming nomenclature. It is, yeah. <laughs> so it's all just semantics at the end of the yeah. day. Okay. Well, 1,285 decimilles high, or whatever that <laughs> yeah. is, is the height of one uh, module. Or 3U. Uh, or... A 3U module. Yeah, yeah. yeah they all have. And, and that was kind of chosen such that they fit within a standard 19-inch 3U rack. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's sort of, which is funny because that is... Um, 19 inches, which is imperial, so yeah. it's sort of. And, I don't know, it all rolls. And U around. is a um, imperial measurement as well. Yeah, 1.15. Uh, one, one three quarters, yeah. Got to have the fraction if you're yep. going to go imperial. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but but yeah, so each module can be, they, they call them HPs. Uh, that's the width, so it can be one HP, which is, I don't remember exactly how much that is, but uh, they go up in uh, integer increments. So yeah. it's like one to 40. Uh, HPS, so which you know can be up to a full panel with 19 inches. Okay, so you said 40 HPS is a full panel. So uh, are... no, no, no. Like the, the standards that you normally see oh, only go up to okay. about 40. Gotcha. They can go larger, but that's about what you normally see. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Um, so the thing is, all of the different chunks of the synth that I made previously, I'm breaking out into individual modules. Uh, so the the oscillator is its own module, the amplifier, blah blah blah. So I'm building those all individually, and in, and the thing is, getting custom faceplates made for these modules is not cheap. Nope. It's like seventy bucks a pop. Yeah. And I want a lot of them, uh, and so I, I well, you had sent to find me a picture. It looked like an entire wall. It looked like an old mainframe. Basically, yeah. But it was a synth. Well, okay. So there's two different. Standards in the synth world. There's there's five U and there's three U, and five U is the big module, and that's actually the one I sent you a picture of. I originally wanted to do that, but it's just too obscene, and I don't have room in my house for something that large. Uh, Just get rid of the couch. Yeah, and just uh, that my wife will love that. Yeah, get rid of the (laughs) couch. We're gonna put a synthesizer there. (laughs) I you know I would actually probably do that. Uh, So yeah, but but those old they call them Moog units, MUs or or five U's. Uh, And they're huge, Uh, which it's cool for, you know, guys with fat fingers who want to play a large instrument the size of a room. You have a lot more room, but they just they don't travel very well and they're harder to build and all kinds of stuff and cost more. And you route signals differently. That's right. So all of the each each panel has its own inputs and outputs or each module, I should say, and they're all done on either quarter inch. Uh, jacks or eighth inch jacks so the 5u units all use quarter inch jacks and the euro rack or the 3u modules use eighth inch uh and so you patch (coughs) your connections all with patch cables so the outputs from one can go to the inputs of any other one and you basically make instruments on the fly
0: yeah is the person called that plays this instrument an operator like a telephone operator
1: you know, Back I don't. In the day. I don't. Uh, probably, I don't. I don't know. You know, he might be actually called like a patcher or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know the ins and outs of like all of that nomenclature there, but that'd be cool. A synth operator. What's well, like how
0: a, a a a the person who drives a train is called an engineer. Uh, Similar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Operator. Operator. Yeah. yeah. You just have an operator station, and that's your couch. Oh, and build it into
1: your coffee table instead, so it lays down. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Or if like the top like automatically opened up there, and it was all yeah. You press a the button, gas pistons go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get right on that. Yeah. yeah. So um, one of the things with with these modules, I wanted them to be really easy to build. I wanted all of the modules to have zero wiring. So I didn't want to wire to pots or to jacks or anything because there's tons of pots and jacks. And you'd spend all day just soldering wires. Cutting like one inch long wires. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so.
0: them and yeah, that'd be a pain in the butt.
1: Right. So all of these things have to end up being a PCB stack such that the you know, the pots and the jacks all mount to a PCB and then that fits through a faceplate and they get mounted that that way so uh cool thing is there's standards around that uh so in the synth world there's standardized pots and jacks that all sit exactly the same height Mm -hmm. off the board uh such that if you buy that you know that family that family everything works together and it's super convenient because you really don't leave that family very you don't have a need for it very often yep so you can build everything under one standard and you build like one footprint for a potentiometer, and it applies to every module you ever make, and so it makes you know libraries and PCBs super easy. Um, but the back to the faceplate issue, I didn't want to spend seventy bucks for every module because you can have fifty modules in in a synth easy, you know. So I was looking at what's an easier way and make the faceplate out of PCB material. Yep, silk screen. Silk screen. Uh, and. The uh, most PCB manufacturers cut holes actually pretty accurate. In fact, way more accurate than I could do on a drill press yeah. uh, myself. And it, they come a lot cleaner. They I can put any silkscreen information I want. If I want different colors of either silkscreen or solder mask, I can do that. Uh, so it was just kind of a no-brainer. And with the fact that PCBs cost like nothing nowadays. Yeah. Just raw PCBs. Uh, it just kind of made sense. Yeah. So I was going to talk
0: about that. Um, yeah. Tolerance considerations. Yeah. On that, that's going to be later on when we're talking about this stuff. So cool. Yeah. Glad you brought it up. Um, so yeah. As a structural material, um, you're using that as kind of a faceplate. Um, is there any like flexing concerns or anything like that? I guess it's since it's only like four inches
1: tall it doesn't have too much flex to it. Well, the thing is, in. you are actually plugging things into it, so you yeah. will be putting force on it, and your your hands will be touching potentiometers and turning things, uh, but that's really not too much of a concern, because n- normal one6 millimeter FR4 is pretty stiff, yep. uh, and you know, if you had, I don't know, if you had a, the, the jack, I guess, like right in the middle of the board dimensionally, then that would receive the most amount of flex but you know when's the last time you tried to just break just straight FR4 with your hand like it's tough yeah so I'm not concerned about that okay
0: <laughs> we, we did see earlier this year that um, Kickstarter for the the CNC mill that's made out of FR4 yeah Um, and so it's apparently rigid enough to handle a little tiny you know engraving mill so
1: Yeah. you know and, and it makes it's not a half bad um, material for uh, structural design. Yeah, we've used it for fixtures here at
0: Macrofab. Yep. Well, not PCB material directly, but getting like GeroLite G10,
1: which is really close to FR4. Right. Fiberglass, epoxy, resin Scoop. stuff. Yeah. 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 The only thing that kind of really sucks in my mind is that some people are actually allergic to it. So if really? you if you get some fiberglass dust on you, uh, some people will actually like break out in a rash. <laughs> huh. So it's, it's kind of inert. I wonder what I wonder if it's like a physical reaction. Then it might be uh, the epoxy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, right. the epoxy. So yeah. it's it's questionable, and, and, and on, at the same time, like you don't want to breathe in any of the dust. No. But I'm not doing any cutting. Uh, so I receive these PCBs, like, final product, and they're yeah. already cleaned and washed, so it's there's no concern of that. But if you have to, like, cut them yourself or modify it yourself, then there might be a little bit of Yeah, I guess you concern. could be allergic
0: to um, dried epoxy, because I'm actually partially allergic to some epoxy brands mm-hmm. that, when it's, like, I'm mixing it. Um, but when it's dry, I never had a problem. And
1: I wouldn't be surprised if you can grow an allergy to that or... I guess. Oh, yeah. Develop a. Develop, well,
0: it's like when you um, you can develop an allergy for, like, if you're a woodworker for, like, cutting pine and h- mostly the harder woods that have, like, different.
1: Yeah, but what's crazy is you'll develop a, uh, an allergy for the species of wood, yes. not for just, like, wood in general. Yeah. Because, like, pine um, will just, I'll just will sneeze
0: like crazy. Oh, the, Even, yeah, the resin. Yeah, in it. yeah. The resin will just make me sneeze like crazy for yeah, hours yeah, yeah. and get me a headache. And it's not, like, I've tried, like, oh, maybe it's just, like, dust. Mm-hmm. And I've worn just a regular paper mask, and that's not enough. I have to wear a – if I'm cutting that stuff all day, I have to wear, like, a carbon mask. Oh, yeah. So, it'll get to you. It sucks.
1: <laughs> so, uh, the, you know, one of the other things that's kind of nice <clears throat> about using FR-4 uh, mm-hmm. is that it's originally intended – to be electrical so if you need to add any kind of electrical characteristics to the faceplate itself you can do that for effectively free you're already paying for yeah plus the parts yeah well right so so if you want to add like a ground plane across it for shielding uh, that doesn't cost you any extra but if you want to do like touch pads or anything on the front um capacitive capacitive touch. touch pad you could actually do that and it really doesn't cost you any more Yep. to to add that on there. So it's it, you know there's some benefits uh to that. You can also get pretty fancy with uh, silkscreen nowadays cause, uh the DPI is what 200ish DPI at most at, at most and some yeah. of them is actually higher than that. Yeah. Uh so the the place that I've actually used for faceplates in the past um uh I used uh ED Easy EDA cuz they're $2 for 10 PCBs. Now they're like $25 for shipping. So <laughs> like it, it, it comes in the watch it comes out yeah, but yeah. but at the same time like they do a decent enough soak screen that uh, you know I wouldn't necessarily sell it as a final product but it's totally fine being a for usable gamer. thing yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for my own personal use
0: and so we're talking about like you know putting electrical and stuff I guess you would design this in I guess the good thing about doing this kind of method would be you get to design it in the same EDA tool or design software that you design your PCB in so you don't have to learn a new CAD software package. Right, you you could do all the artwork directly in your EDA and then output the gerber which you already know. Yep. And just so you don't have to find, you know, figure out how to export a, a step file out of
1: your CAD program or whatever. Yeah. So so for yeah. for the uh, the the stuff that I'm doing right now, I actually opted to design the uh, artwork in Inkscape um, I did. I did that separately because I wanted to choose like specific fonts and things like that. I I, I went to DaFont Font uh, because they have like five trillion fonts and went to their like sci-fi page because yeah, know, it just worked for synth stuff. Did you use the Blade Runner font? I I, I considered it. <laughs> I considered it. the Blade Runner and the Metal Gear Solid font. I like both of those. Yeah. They're both awesome. But I actually went. Uh, funny enough, I went with a font that was like on their like most downloaded fonts page or whatnot you yep. know because on those it's like a whole bunch of like really dumb cursive script stuff that just, just says like Merry Christmas or something like that you know but they had one that was just really fantastic so I went with that and I designed like a really nice um, circular pattern to go around the pots to mm-hmm. show you know zero through ten uh, I should have done one to eleven yeah you should have I haven't bought it yet I haven't bought it yet maybe I, can, 12. maybe I can just go back but but so I I did that in uh, Inkscape And uh, since I did everything in in DipTrace, all the PCB design, I can actually upload images to Mm Silkscreen in DipTrace. And so I just exported with, like, 5 billion DPI uh, (laughs) and just pumped that right into DipTrace and it comes out. 20 megabyte Gerber file. (laughs) So, yeah, it comes out looking pretty good. I'm happy with it so far. Awesome. So, yeah, hopefully in the next, I don't know couple of days i'll place an order for a handful of modules and uh when when it's all done i would like you to play it okay actually i think that would be a lot of fun i've never played a synth before so besides turning knobs on the one that we built right or you built yeah you you i put stain it. on the enclosure you did the least electrical part of it yeah i know. I built the enclosure <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no. When this one's when this one's done, it's a lot more like tactile to play, okay? Because you, know, you actually have to like connect things physically. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, I want you to play it, and maybe we'll have another synth jam on the on the podcast. So I got a question about those Eurorack things. Yeah. Are the cables shielded? Uh,
0: well, so they're it's just two it's conductor. A, so it's one is signal and the other one's grounded. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So they are shielded then. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Okay. Because that's, that's one thing I was thinking about is like if you were if you were manufacturing these things. Um, how do you get the, would get those fCCce certified because there's so many different configurations to basically use one of those your rack modules how would you you'd have to test for per FCCCE rules you have to test
1: every single way that thing can be hooked up Uh, I'm not entirely sure. And, and, and the thing about it too, is like those outputs, even if you don't have a jack plugged in most of the time, they're not shorted to ground. So though, so they're just acting as an antenna, but, uh, I mean, most synths don't go above 20 kilohertz, uh, and most of them are analog and they don't have a processor buzzing away. So I think it's six kilohertz is what it has to be under. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, it, so, I mean, the thing is, they're so not, they're probably, not The signal is probably so low power, yes. it's not broadcasting. It's high voltage, low current. Yeah. It's usually 10 volt peak to peak, but, like, nothing current. Yeah. So, I don't know what the rules would be for consumer audio equipment. Mirror rack, yeah. I don't yeah. know either. Uh, would you, or would you try to, you know,
0: sell it as a test equipment thing?
1: Well, and, and uh, the, we, mm, I don't know if you could certify it as that i, the I thing don't know that, the either. thing that's crazy is most most cases that people put these uh euro racks in are made entirely of wood which you can't do that either yeah i mean they're they're like screwing power supplies directly into wood like three amp 20 volt power supplies <laughs> in, directly into wood so i don't know how they get away with it uh i mean obviously home gamers can do whatever the hell they want yeah but uh yeah i don't know maybe i'll look into that that'd be fun yeah, see if go to like
0: one of the major manufacturers of Eurorack stuff and see if they have FCCCE stamps on their stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, I doubt it.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, because even if you could, like, shield it and stuff, like that's let's say that's fine. It's just all the configurations you'd have to put that device through to test it. You have to test it if it's connected to this thing, or they just connect wires into it and just leave the wires just out. And just say that's like the worst case scenario is the wires are hanging, just plugged all in, and they're just antennas, basically. Well,
1: or you could do that, or or come to think about it, uh, if you were say if you were designing all the modules, you could design every input to have a known specific impedance, such that mm. you could plug every output of a module into an impedance box. Yep. And that, then and yep. then that would count. They would yeah. they would let you get away with that. Probably. Yeah. So – but, I mean, the thing is, since it's user configurable, um, I don't think you I, – I think there's exceptions to that when yeah. it's user configurable. I think I, – because we're talking about this thing, but then
0: you can also apply this to, like, PCI cards and video cards and computers. Mm-hmm. There's so many different configurations. Like, that video card can plug into 500 different motherboards that are on Newegg. And it's like, you have to test each of those configurations?
1: I don't know. No, well, um, I, so, I, I think the answer that's is, no. The answer is no. I, I know that for a fact. And in fact, whenever I've done this kind of testing, the majority of the way it usually works is that you put it in what is known to be a standard... Speci- standard specification. Specification, uh, such that it meets whatever the data sheet's typical values are, and you let it run that so way. So prob-
0: what you probably do is, I bet you these... If you buy a professional Euro rack that's got the stamps and stuff, I bet you if you went into the data sheet it would have the like typical input values and output values and then they basically make sure that when they're running the tests and they do the uh, conducted emissions it still does that
1: yeah 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 yeah, yeah.
0: that's probably how it works
1: yeah uh, I don't I don't you know the uh, the the Conducted is a lot different in this case because there's so many different inputs and outputs. Uh, you would have to you would have to test it with a wire independently in each input. You couldn't have wires to all the inputs. You'd have to do it like one at a time, I think. Yeah, maybe. Uh, the Radiated, I would think, would be a lot less troublesome just because yeah. they're lower power. Low power stuff.
0: Uh, conducted no. would be a bitch. <laughs> maybe we should try to find a company that's got those certs on their stuff and just like maybe interview them on the podcast that'd be
1: cool yeah i can i can reach out to some people or if you're listening right now no, oh my gosh
0: <laughs> <laughs> send you, us an email at podcast at com. <clears throat> okay cool so i don't have, go back to fr4 as a structural thing yeah um i've mainly used it as like for Prototyping, um, uh, for like doing um, enclosures for you know test jigs and stuff like that. I haven't really used it as a end product yet, mm-hmm. mainly because I had, I guess I've had access to like three D printers and stuff, so I'll make like an enclosure out of that. Um, but I have used it for like touch capacitive stuff. Yeah. So.
1: Oh, I'll probably and, should try to do more of it. You know, you know, uh, one thing that it actually um, works really well is, in fact, Dave Jones did this for his uh, microcurrent. Um, you can purchase a box that just has one face missing, Oh, and then yeah. use the make f- a lid, use, uh, just a lid, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and because then you can mount the entire circuit to just the lid, and you screw it in once. So you still have a box that looks professional in terms of the outside of the box, but the faceplate itself is is FR four material, works real well for that. Yeah, that actually, that solves a lot of problems with like mounting switches and stuff. Right, and then if you if you really want to get fancy, and you need. You know a certain ip rating you could put a gasket on it and it would still probably work fairly well for you know the lower rated ones yep so yeah it's a it's really cheap and really easy Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool well you know actually come to think about it us electrical engineers are the probably the only people who consider this as an an option option. option. because we just like it fits within our wheelhouse. Like we know know, how to design it.
0: Yeah. You already know how to design it. It already works with your tool set. You already know how to order it and you already know how to
1: order it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you know how like the properties of it. And you don't have to talk to anyone or give them a drawing. Yes. Like you just click order and it shows up. You just send them Gerber files.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And shows up at your cave.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Your cave. (laughs) The engineering right. cave <laughs> <laughs> all right cool so we'll go on to the pal pick of the week mm-hmm. so this one was a uh brian who emailed us in he's from uh poetic.io i don't know if that's important or not but it says here on the sheet
1: um, poetic.io okay. he, a-
0: he asks do you do you have a guy that knows lots about censors I think we know a little bit about sensors. A little bit, yeah. Um, I need one that will tell me the distance to any solid object out to a range about 60 feet. Could be ultrasonic, but I'm not sure if there's one strong enough. So, I was thinking about this question, and I actually stumbled upon today while I was writing the notes for this podcast of a uh, sensor that's a 24 gigahertz radar sensor that goes in, like, cars for distance sensing for your... Um, your like speed control for the um, cruise control, okay, like auto distancing and stuff, and it's an evaluation kit, so you can just buy this. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. you have to contact a company to get it, but they're like it's a they have it listed under standard products, so you so can they probably, probably have one on the shelf. Yeah, they have one on the shelf, and you probably just call them up and buy them. Um, it's the uh, KLD2 eval. If you Google that, it'll pop up. Um, it's by RF Beam. Okay. Um, you can probably use an ultrasonic sensor. Um, the problem I've ha- had with ultrasonic sensors is when you get to a certain distance, it's really hard to aim them.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they, they certainly they, they have a cone. Yeah. Uh, I, and really, ultrasonics don't work well t- after like two feet. Yeah. They kind of drop off real fast. Yeah,
0: I think I've used them up to like six and a half, seven feet, and it's been okay. Um. But, yeah, that, that radar, I kind of want to get one just to, like, see how it works. It's got, like, a really interesting web, uh, not web GUI, um, like, just a computer software that you connect to and see how the sensors working and stuff. So, Did they say how much it is? Unfortunately, no. I tried to look. So, um, it can't cost more than a couple hundred bucks, I don't think. No, something like this is probably a few hundred. Yeah. Not, not too much. I don't know what kind of price range Brian <laughs> wants, but... I mean, he could probably try like 20 bucks <laughs> because <bucks, yeah. laughs> he's talking
1: probably of ultrasonic sensor. That's like a dollar. So, so I was looking into something that's similar to this a while back because uh, with my CNC table, I wanted to have like a DRO on the table. Okay, so I yeah. could tell where it was at any point in time, but up to the full four by eight, what's a DRO uh, digital readout or run out indicator basically okay, or yeah. not run out in but it's a, it's, it's a, a digital read of where the device is. Yep. Um, uh, like mills, CNC mills typically have them lathes, which uh, is one one thousandth of an inch for you metric people. Uh, I meant like a milling machine. Oh, okay. The, but but they read mills. Yes, they read the, mills. The mill will read mills. Yeah. Is uh, but the uh, so I was looking into Confused. doing this, and I, and I I at first I was like ultrasonic sensors. Could I do that? But the thing is, like, I wanted to read. Really, honestly, I wanted to read down to about five mils or five one thousandths of an inch across eight feet. Yeah, uh, and that's really hard. Probably need a laser. Well, and that's that's what I was really actually going towards was if you shine a laser and reflect it back, and you look at the phase change, mm-hmm. uh, like basically like a sine wave change, mm-hmm. you can actually check the 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 phase difference between it uh, the the laser that you're sending and what you're receiving back and then you can tell the distance but that's based on the wavelength and so you'd be traveling across gazillions of wavelengths as you go across eight feet so you'd have to have something like weird counting software and it wouldn't be absolute it would always be relative in that sense yeah you'd have to have an fpga yeah yeah because they would work like an encoder
0: because if you just shine the laser well then how do uh,
1: laser distance finders work do they
0: pulse the laser then.
1: Well, yeah, I mean it, that's that's how it works. You you pulse it and you get you get a phase difference, uh, okay. basically. So how do the ones work that no absolute distance then? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure on that. Maybe they
0: just pulse and see how fast the laser gets back, like a radar
1: gun. It, it might it might be something of that sort. Yeah. Because well, okay. So I was working in uh, the vibration industry a while back, and that was one of the things we we didn't do it ourselves, but we looked into the technology of. If you shine a laser at something and you look at it returning, uh, and then you look at the the phase jitter, you can actually see something vibrate without actually touching it. Yeah, yeah, that's how temperature laser temperature sensors work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and so, you know, we were looking into that, and I was like, can you do that across a larger distance? But it's 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 actually not that difficult to do when you're talking about a distance of like, you know. Uh, a hundredth of an inch, but across yeah. eight feet is really hard. <laughs> and 60 feet is even harder. Yeah. I wonder if actually the easiest way to do
0: that would be to get a really high resolution camera, point it down, and then a like little tiny dot on top of your spindle, and it just did it, just looked at it that way. Yeah, well, that might work. Yeah. So uh, the, the, or I you guess... just hit zero on your machine and it zeroed out and then. Or You're, if I really
1: wanted to do it I could just put encoders on my that's motors. What I'm that's what I like, was saying. Yeah. Yeah, I just read that, but. Yeah. but that's like the easy way to it. <laughs> I kinda like the 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 computer vision way. That
0: might work pretty well. Yeah. You just have to have a really flat vision, flat field. You know? Oh no, no. You would just use a really high focal length. Yeah, oh, okay. And then it would and then you use parallax correction and it'd be fine. Hmm. What you could do is actually mill out on your table a ginormous grid to correct the parallax, and so you, oh. you mill it out a ginormous basically checker grid. Yeah. And then move the arm away, and then the camera takes a picture, and then you and then it would readjust
1: itself to that grid. Yep. Yeah, you could do that. That's actually built into um, OpenCV. It'd be that would be interesting to see what kind of like absolute accuracy you could get. Considering all of those factors, you yeah, know, uh, would it still be only accurate to like a centimeter? Yeah, I have no idea. I, I guess you'd you'd have to
0: look at the resolution of your camera. Well, yeah, that would probably dictate everything. That, dis- that would dictate the most of it. Yeah, um, basically, whatever pixel per um pixel per uh, or distance per pixel. Yeah, they. D- d- yeah, 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 that's what it is. It's DPI basically. How many pixels per inch? You're running. Right. Um, Damn, you'd have to have a pretty solid camera. (laughs) Yeah, you would. (laughs) A pretty crazy Um, camera. You actually wouldn't even have to use OpenCV. You can actually just, like, look at – because if the camera didn't move, you would just look at where that dot is in the field, and then that pixel is this
1: number. Hmm. You know, um, funny enough, in my first lab in physics, college physics, it was – I took it my first freshman semester – we actually did something pretty similar to that. We had these um, in the lab with these cameras that hung from the ceiling. And we had these uh, uh, like trolleys that fit on a tray like a like a cart, basically. OK. And uh, it was like an air hockey table. They they uh, ran on a cushion of air. Oh, yeah. I remember this lab. We yeah, had the same lab. Y- y- uh, at UT, they had the same lab? Yeah. One? Similar. Uh, physics well, lab or something yeah, like that. Uh, it's probably similar-ish, but you would like move the cart and... It would hit something, it would ricochet off, you would measure its mass. Yep. And then, if you, if you looked at the camera or the, the uh, video feed from the camera, you could get timing and how fast it was going. Yep. And then you could. It was basically back really round it. a really roundabout way of not using a scale. <laughs> oh, a scale and a stopwatch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It Which was probably like... the year before they probably gave kids a scale and a stopwatch.
0: No, no, it was a way to basically reinforce that physics is a real thing.
1: Well yeah no it was the yeah it was like it was like worked. proving really it was like weeks and weeks of proving f is equal to ma. That you no know, that's it what it was basically yeah. that. Yeah. And all the formulas that are derived from it.
0: It's like when you take your first like computer uh electronics lab it's like the whole year is proving you know v equals ir.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which that's everything for electrical engineering. Yeah it is. It's uh, practically uh, it. Yeah.
0: Cuz like the first year in electrical engineering you do um ohms law and then you do kirchhoff's Kirchhoff. Kirchhoff's law which is like the node amperage in the into voltage in the current. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The voltage at every point is the same and then on the same net. Yeah. Yeah, on the same a net. I like that. <laughs> we, you, they didn't teach it as a net, but no, as they, after you leave college everything is a net. Everything is a net. Yeah, yeah. And then all the currents <laughs> that flow into a net must also flow out, out of, of a, a net. net. Yeah. yeah. Man, they hammer that in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that was like Fourteen years ago, I still remember that stupid (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Because I don't use that stuff every day. Well, no. Okay, here's the thing. No, the the thing is, you you know, you do use that every day. You absolutely use it every day. But the thing is, you never. But you never have to like do any of the calculations. It's like you have proven to yourself and to many professors that the voltage at on everywhere on one net is the same. That's You've true. You've proven it so many times yeah. that you just believe it. Yeah, it becomes your rule of thumb. It's your rule of thumb, right. And, yeah. and you know all the current flowing in must also flow out, so you don't have to prove it to yourself. You just know it. You just know it. That's so. true. That's true. Yeah. You do use it. It's just yeah. the way they teach it is just like, oh, my God, the same homework problems over and oh, over man. and over. Yeah. yeah. The this Everything on the left side of the equation must be everything on the right side. right? Yeah. You know it's funny? We're recording this, too, right now, and –
0: there are students that are suffering through their final exams right now.
1: Oh, doing Kirchhoff. Yes. Guaranteed.
0: <laughs> you know, okay. Oh, what's, what's the one with the, um, it's, the dig, it's the digital logic class, but it's like we have to draw all those grids. Oh,
1: um, Karno maps. Oh, K-maps were K-maps. the
0: worst. 3D K-maps, 3D
1: K-map, K-maps sucked. Yes. Oh, yeah. I hate K-maps.
0: So our, our class when we did that it was um, digital log- Intro to Digital Logic. It's like 316 or something like that. I can't remember the number. Um, it was a self-paced class. Yeah, that's you, right. UT had that where you had to... You, you just showed up, and that was it. And then you just, like, scheduled to take a test or a quiz. And then and then it was like, on this date, you had to make sure your first midterm was done. And this was your second midterm date. It had to be done by then. So I failed it my first year. <laughs> and then the second year, I finished it the first month. <laughs> you just ripped through I it. just ripped through I basically sat down and just did everything. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> did you get make an A? Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs>
0: basically, I took too many classes the first year. Oh, the, that semester, and I just didn't have time. I basically just blew it off because I was a college student, and yeah, you know, yeah, this happens. I hated. digital I, logic. I knew people that failed because they failed that class twice in a row. They got they dropped out of electrical engineering because of that class because they couldn't manage their time. Yes.
1: Wow. Yeah, that sucks. Damn.
0: Yeah. I think they made that not self-paced like a couple years after I took it because so many people dropped out because of that class. Imagine if every class was that way. Oh, I would not have graduated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would, that oh, I can take terrible. the midterm whenever? Yeah. That's never going to happen. One hour before the due. Do- oh shit. I got to take the mid-term. Oh yeah. You'd
0: come like, you'd, you'd show up to do the midterm on like the day of, and it's like, we're full shit <laughs> there's not enough desks to to do it no that's great yeah so brian go check out the k-ld2-eval and actually let us know how much it is after you get through salespeople. yeah i want to know how much And I pick one goes. up and pick one up for us too yeah ship it to podcast.magpad.com we'll send you a t-shirt <laughs> Yeah, digitally
1: transmitted to us yeah
0: <laughs> or if you're from RF Beam, send us one and we'll send you a t-shirt That'd be cool. Now, I think if you have like 20, 30, 40,
1: how many people are in that company? You'll have to share shirts. But, I, you know, honestly, for 24 gigahertz, I would love to open it up and take a look uh, at that. Yeah. So the transmitter would probably be pretty cool to look at. Probably pretty cool looking. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a landlord once where uh, he, it's it, I, this is a weird conflict of interest. I don't know how this works out. But he's a cop, but he also has a business where he repairs all of the police's equipment so there's there's a weird conflict of interest there I don't know how it works but he did he all the he puts in like kill switches for for cameras
0: that the body cameras he puts a kill switch in I bet you he did
1: <laughs> Yeah, I would not be surprised. I used to go over to this guy's shop and we used to just drink and play with radar guns all the time. It was awesome. And it was cool. Like his shop, you, it, was, it was so w- completely random. You would walk in to his shop and he had a, a, a case there, a glass case like you'd, you know, you'd see at a store. And it had half of it was vacuum tubes and the other half was bullets. <laughs> <laughs> and he always, always had a whole stock of bush beer. And he would just crack open Bush beer, and we'd play with radar guns because he fixed radar guns. Uh, did he ever tell you what tolerance he would have to calibrate those two? He he had oh my gosh he had a room that would make you drool in terms of like test gear. Yeah. So he had all that stuff. The the thing is like, man, I swear he did have this stuff drunk. So I don't know how calibrated. <laughs> all the- all of it was. He was he was a fun dude, and he had like eight million stories. So like you could sit there for hours and just listen to this guy. Oh. Um, and he taught me how to change the text on like road signs. Uh, that like <laughs> I was actually thinking like what like he
0: knew like the secret technology to put in front of your car. So yeah, the radio gun would just bounce off. It's just a text
1: file. There's just a laptop. Oh and no, the text I'm, talking, file. I'm talking about like they not get pulled over for speeding. Oh yeah, I mean. I mean he, you know the funny thing was he uh, the guy was obviously a beer drinker and he told me he's like i never send a guy to jail for for driving drunk he's like i i don't do it unless he talks back to me unless he gets he gets mad at me he's like i you know i can understand you went out and had a couple drinks and you're you're driving home i get it i so like, i'm not gonna pull you over and do that uh he's like but if you give me back talk you're going to jail <laughs> Also we do, we do not condone drinking and driving. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 we do not. We absolutely would do not. The funny thing was he he told me this one time. He's like uh, he pulled over a guy for, for drunk driving the other day and he goes, I'm gonna give you two options. You can either go to jail or he got grabbed the guy's phone and he found a girlfriend's phone number. He's like, I'll call your girlfriend or you go to jail. You pick <laughs> that's a pretty good option. It is a pretty good option. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So there you go. That's he- me- here's here's to you, Larry. <laughs> Larry, I <laughs> like that's like the most generic name. Oh to you. yeah, Larry, wherever you are, Larry. Here's to you. We had some fun time. Hopefully, in a d-
0: maybe not in a ditch somewhere because he was drunk driving. <laughs> 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 oh man, right, we, should, a- we should not be laughing about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, onto the RFO. RFO. And yeah, unfortunately, yeah. the RFOs are kind of lame this week. A little bit weak. This week has been oh, really Well, I see st- they're they're about Eagle, so they have to be lame. Yeah. Um and it's also it's just like it's right before Christmas, so like most engineers are like, you know, with their families not doing anything cool. We're gonna really find who the true listeners are this week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so yes, Eagle is the first RFO. Eagle eight point five came out and they introduced push, pull, shove routing. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, so Key had this for a while well. The stable releases of Kikad has doesn't have it yet. <laughs>
1: I like how you have to call it stable.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the CERN release, because you know CERN is like the, the the people who smash particles in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. they have a, their own like repository for Kikad, and they do their own development for it, and they have push of routing. So Eagle has eight point five has push of routing now. Um, and I upgraded today. It's pretty cool. It's actually really nice for when you need to add stuff. It's not, re- I don't think it's really useful when I'm routing a board from the beginning. It's when I need to add something in a later revision. Like I need to add this chip or I need to change the routing to this or like the pinout or something. Cause then instead of having to rip up a whole section of the board to reroute one trace, I just kind of push the trace through and everything. It's like Moses
1: parting the sea. <laughs> You, you know, one thing I've found that actually makes Moses it really convenient the traces. There you go. That's title. Um, <laughs> so, so I've actually had to do this in the past, and it's super convenient with push shove routing. Um, if you have a connector with a gazillion lines that come off of it uh you it's nice to have them all like like 10 to like the 20th right yeah yeah no i've totally made boards like that uh but no i had one where i had at least like 20 lines that had to go from a connector to a processor and 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 the connector was on one side of the board and the processor was in the middle and it was a it was like two or three inches um, to get to the processor. Well, I, you, what I would do is I would add a line and then add the second one and I would just push them up against each other and they would auto space each other. To the DRC. And then the third one would just, you, as you keep adding it, they would all automatically space. And if you wanted them all to have that nice, like all of them followed that nice 45 look, oh, yeah, you would yeah. just push on the 45 and they would all just stack up. Yeah. Uh, and that's super nice to have that automatically done. Yeah. So I
0: can't wait to actually get, you know, use this. I like, Tested it out. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. But when I actually finally, you know, sit down and like and actually use the tool and appreciate it, there you go. Yeah. Um, and so, also in the e, so also in the EDA tool world, is Altium Designer 18 came out. Mm. Um, neither of us are Altium users. I did download the demo, um, and are trying you know trying it out, just seeing how it's like. And I still can't really get used to it. I'm just. It's different. Yeah, it's like any EDA tool. Uh, I was designing boards and just trying it out, but it's just so I don't, I don't know. I just it's weird because I'm like the only person I know of that like actually
1: likes Eagle. <laughs> I'm like, it works like an old school EDA tool, and that's why that's why I like. I think I think that ag- ag- what you said right there is exactly why people like it and exactly why people don't like it. Yeah. So, I think Altium uh, won't give me. Um, demo copies anymore uh i've oh. gotten so many no demo remember, copies no 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 them. remember we switched dot net to dot com for our oh email no addresses? i exhausted that too <laughs> oh gosh no 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 like every email address i've used other people's email address at macrofab i've gotten so many copies of all <laughs> people and uh and it and maybe it was a newbie move but i used the same phone number every time and and they've ah. called me like 50,000 times yeah it's like this it's like they call like You'll get like eight calls in a row from the same person, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I, Parker's heard this story before. i don't I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but uh, there was a a salesperson who called me from Altium and and she sounded young and and the way she was talking made it seem like she was fairly new at the place. maybe she wasn't. I don't know, but regardless like she was she was a little shaky when talking to me, and I was like, hey. Uh, literally, she like she was trying to talk about altium. I was like, "Hey, hey, hey, hang on, hang on." I was like, "I'll give you two hundred bucks right now for altium," and she like, <laughs> and she just was like dead silent. I was like, oh, "Okay, that was a joke. Like, call me some other time." <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if she was like, "Okay, let's do it." You know, give her two hundred dollars, give her two hundred bucks, and get altium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be a really good deal. <laughs> that'd
0: be an amazing deal. Um, any other RFOs you can think of? That's the end of the list. Oh, um, I guess thumbs up on Ultium 18. I don't know what that means, but thumbs up. Uh, yeah, apparently it's a big rewrite of a lot of the software. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, we, we, well, we talked about the dip trace 3.0 a couple months ago, right? Yep. Um, 3.2. KiCad is still on four points, whatever they're on now. Yep. Um, think that's all the big ones because all the other ones like are like cadence and stuff and they're pads bob- pads yeah yeah no one protel cares. no okay protel's ultium that's right that's right back in their er,
1: mid 90s yeah it started as protel yeah
0: cool so that was the mac we were done right
1: yeah sure why okay, not so
0: that was the macabre engineering podcast we were your hosts parker Zullen. and Stephen craig see you next time for episode 100 take it easy Thank you, yes, you, are a listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us on iTunes. It helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find out. Don't press that button yet because we also have a position open on our software team. Uh, We need someone with strong Linux and AWS experience to build the tools we use to test, build, deploy, and troubleshoot the software that drives our MacFab platform. Um, There'll be a link in the podcast
1: description of where you can go check out our job postings.